Well, with bravery being the topic today, I would like to share with you a story that I don't know when the last time you read it. I'm sure you're familiar with it to some degree, but I'd like to just read the whole story for you. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen if you want, but here's how the Bible tells us a really awesome story. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Socha and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damon. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Okay, so you can picture a standoff. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Now, I want to pause for just a minute and have you think about how tall, how big that is. Let me show you a picture of one of my favorite Denver Nuggets of all times. His name is Earl Boykins. He's a, he was really uh, quick and energetic, and I, I enjoyed the way he played. Now, he was a little bit short for NBA standards, but as far as the average American male, he was only an inch off of that. He was five foot six or seven, somewhere in there, so he was almost average in that respect. But... But, uh, and so he would kind of fit right in. But here he is next to a guy who's one of the tallest players in the history of NBA. That's Yao Ming. He was seven foot five. Look at Earl Boykins now. Notice he's not smiling anymore. But, um, but uh, you know, and you think, wow, maybe that's a good picture of David and Goliath. Well, you know what? If Earl Boykins is the average male, you would think, well, then that must be like about what Goliath is. But that man on the right, Yao Ming from China, was only seven foot five. He would also look like a child in, in uh, contrast to Goliath because Goliath was, was over a foot and a half taller than him. Over nine feet tall, the Bible says. So I can't show you a picture of a nine foot tall man because th- there's no pictures of such people. But anyway, that's at least a visual, a little bit of what we're talking about here. Anyway, the Bible continues with the story. It says, he, Goliath, wore a bronze helmet, and his, uh, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. That's more than my wife weighs. That's just his armor there. And then, actually, that's not even all of his armor. Verse 6 says, he also wore uh, bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. I'm not exactly sure how big that is, but it sounds pretty big. And, uh, and it was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Just the tip of it was 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So, I mean, he was literally like a walking tank. That's what Goliath looked like. Verse 8 continues, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion. By the way, that's my best Goliath voice. But anyway, here we go. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, They were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at this time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimei, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. 
For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army, continuing this standoff. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and, ten, and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army of the, uh, at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep and, uh, with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other. There's the standoff again. Army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, champion of Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout, his usual taunt to the, uh, to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending, the de ending his defiance of Israel? And who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You, you just want to see the battle. What have I done now? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. So David goes before him, and here's what he says. Don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go out after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So finally, Paul or Saul, Saul finally consented. All right, he said, go ahead, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started out across the valley to fight 
the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? He roared at David. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it and his, with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now that's a graphic story, but is there, has there ever been a better story or a better picture of bravery than what God did through this young boy in his childlike faith that day in a setting that many of us would have been trembling in our sandals, you know, or whatever, unable to speak or, or move, let alone run toward the battle. I love bravery stories. I love war stories. As I think of Memorial Day, I think of the stories of brave soldiers who've gone before. But this is my favorite story of bravery of all time. And yet still, as we talk about bravery, I want to pause and talk about the antithesis of that, the things that we are afraid of for a moment too. Let me ask you, show your hand, put, raise your hand if you uh, have at some point been afraid of spiders, if you would call yourself somebody who has arachnophobia. All right, maybe a little bit, some of you, all right, quite a few. How about anybody with acrophobia, that's the fear of heights? Anybody in here a little bit afraid of heights at times? Okay, a lot of hands. All right, how about uh, claustrophobia, you know, afraid of tight spaces? Yeah, I see a lot of hands there. All right, how about how about uh, pinterophobia? I don't see any hands. That, that's just the fear of mother-in-laws. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> oh, yeah, now I see some hands. <laughs> that's a real one. I've never heard it before. But, but truthfully, there are some powerfully debilitating fears that, that can really cause all kinds of problems for many of us. Maybe yours is one of those. Maybe yours is the fear of failure. If you struggle with that, maybe that's why you, you never asked that girl out. Maybe that's why you never applied for that job, because you are afraid of failure. Maybe yours is the fear of intimacy. If that's true, maybe that's why you tend to keep everything shallow in fear of being truly known. You're afraid of inf- intimacy. How about the fear of rejection? If that's you, you're probably desperate for approval. You're probably one of those people who spends way too much time on Facebook because of this fear. Maybe for you it's the fear of death, and, and that just eats your lunch. Uh, you know, we know that death is more inevitable than virtually anything else on this planet, 
and yet many of us are scared to ever talk about it, to bring it up, because we're afraid of that. Yeah, the point is that we all have fears, fears that lead us in the opposite direction of bravery, of what God would want for us in so many different areas. We all tend to try to compensate or hide or cover up or manipulate or control or maintain illusions like, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, doing great, never been better, you know? I, 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 things are awesome, how about you? When inside, maybe there is something, one of these that we've talked about or something else that is just consuming you. The truth is you're, you're struggling, you're, 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 you're shaking in your boots, but we don't want to ever admit that. And so we struggle and we go down that road of pretending everything's fine when it's really not. The Bible tells us in Galatians that we should bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, takes that up a notch, and he even says, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So with scriptures like that in mind, let me just tell you personally, not that I get excited about talking about my own fears, but I have some. I'll just tell you a couple that, that tend to to, to uh, come to the forefront and bother me at times. One is the fear of weakness. The other is fear of failure. They kind of go together in the sense that, that I oftentimes truly as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, struggle with that. I fear not being good enough to stand up and do what is needed, what God wants me to do in the role of, of what I'm doing now as a pastor or, you know, during the work week trying to meet the needs of those who have issues that they need help with. And what if I screw up? What if I let somebody down? What if I don't uh, have what it takes to be able to meet needs? And even more than the role of pastor, the role of being husband or father, what if, you know, considering what's on the line, what if I mess up as a husband or a father and those that are coming behind me that I love so much, you know, stumble and fall because of my mistakes or, or inabilities or whatever? Fear of failure, fear of weakness are things that probably mess with a lot of us, but it, definitely me. You know, I told you last week that uh, the week before that, I got to spend some time with Bob Russell. He, in fact, I got a picture of him. That's Bob on the left and Ben Merrill on the right, two retired pastors that I just admire so much. Talking to them about ministry is like talking to Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron about baseball, you know, getting to pick their brain. It was an incredible week that I got to do. But anyway, as I was talking to Bob on the left there um, one time over dinner, I explained, or he asked me actually, he kind of started the conversation about this topic, this very topic about being afraid of things and struggling in ministry. And, and he said, yeah, Scott, you know, so what, what tends to be the things that get you down? What, what, what makes you get to that place of feeling kind of like, oh man, maybe I'm over my head here or whatever. And I shared some thoughts and ideas with him and, and he said, well, I, I understand that, but man, I've been there too. And I go, Really? You too? I mean, this is the guy who's at the top of the, you know, very, very, very top in terms of success as a minister and faithfulness and longevity in so many ways, just admired and fantastic. And I said, you too, really? He goes, oh, yeah. I almost quit several times. In fact, I'll tell you one story when I almost quit. I was struggling at that time um, with leading in a variety of ways, had some staffing issues and struggles. Um, uh, there were a variety of things that I was having a hard time with in terms of leadership, things that were required of me. And then one day I went fishing, turned my phone off, went fishing, and, you know, thought everything was fine. Got home that night, turned the phone back on and realized, oh, my word, I forgot a wedding I was supposed to officiate today. 
and a place was filled with people, you know, and they were all waiting, and the pastor never showed because he was out fishing. And he said, you know, I can kind of laugh about it now. I kind of cringe still, but he goes, but truly, it led me to a place of almost thinking, I need to quit. I, I'm a failure. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I said, even you. And so my point is that as he shared that and other stories with me, it led me to a place of going, wow, if even Bob struggled <laughs> with uh, some of this kind of stuff, you know, maybe, maybe I can make it too if he survived. You know, in the book of Psalms, which is mostly written by David, who we just read about, we see a healthy and consistent pattern that I love. And it goes like this. We acknowledge fear, but we focus on God. Over and over in Scripture, I see that in the book of Psalms. Acknowledge the fear, acknowledge it, yes, but focus on God. In other words, shift your focus from your fear to your faith. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Trouble which always comes our way. Doesn't matter who we are, we all face difficulty. But, therefore, we will not fear because God is our refuge and our strength, present in our time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, it doesn't matter what happens, literally or figuratively, if we face earthquakes and everything else shudders and, and falls apart around us, we do not need to fear because God is our refuge and our strength. In fact, that chapter ends, verse 11, with the Lord Almighty is with us and is our fortress. So, with that being the case, then why do we have fear? Well, I would say that's because fear is often still based on legitimate threats, real threats. No offense to our late, great president, FDR, I, wonderful man, but when he said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, I would tell you I think that is not correct, at least not in an overall comprehensive sense, based on what Scripture says. Look at, look at Ephesians 6, which makes it clear that we are in a battle against, look at it, against evil rulers, against authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You know, all of which are being headed up by Satan himself, who, do, who has the ability to do us harm and does mean to do us harm. We have much to fear if we stand and face that alone. The good thing is, we don't have to face him or his authorities, his principalities on our own. That is the amazing thing. We can be brave, not because we are a match for the enemy in and of ourselves, but because of who goes before us. How did David put it? The Lord of heaven's armies. He wasn't afraid of Goliath, even though Goliath was you know, double, triple his height and his size, because of the Lord of heaven's armies who was with him. Look again at how this childlike faith in David was, was talked about. David said, you come at me, he's talking to Goliath, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. Impressive swords and spears and javelins. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. There's your problem, Goliath. And today, because of that, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and I will give the, body, the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people. But listen to this, but not with sword and spear. This is not my battle, David says. This is the Lord's battle and it is because of Him that you're going to be defeated. He will give you to us. Young David was brave because he shifted his focus 
from his fears to his faith. And that's where we need to be. That's a good time to say amen. We need to shift our fears from our, or shift our focus from our fears to our faith. Say it again. Our fears need to be uh, something we acknowledge, but they are not what we focus on. And then what did David do? You remember what's the next verse say that he did? What did he do as, as he approached Goliath? He ran. He ran to the battle. Now, does that mean that he forgot that he was facing Goliath, a nine-foot-tall, skilled at war, eager to kill him, you know, deranged, angry, you know, beast of a man? No, he didn't forget any of that. It's just that he put his focus, instead of on the giant, he put his focus on, on, the, on God himself. Kind of as Nick talked about, he, he, he didn't focus on the mountain, he focused on his God. And that's what we need to do as Christians today in whatever area that God calls us to that we face. Whatever phobia that you face, don't be afraid of it, because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. God as our Father has never been about getting his children to find a way to avoid all scary situations. I think we need to understand this. Um, He knows that difficult, or you might say scary, situations are opportunities to test and stretch and grow and develop our faith. They're not bad. In many situations, they actually are the best thing that can happen to us. So we see over and over in Scripture, when God's people were given opportunities to be brave, when they had to face something difficult, how God worked through that. I was talking to somebody yesterday who's really going through some hard stuff, and I reminded them of that quote that I've often used that I love from a young pastor who lost his daughter when she died of an asthma attack in his arms. And he said, he said um, smooth seas never made a great sailor. That is a powerful thought, especially coming from somebody dealing with such heartache. But opportunities that we face that are scary, you know, we we might be kind of like, oh, Lord, I don't want that. But actually, if we will trust God and let him lead us through it, good things happen as a result of this. That's how our faith grows. There are many, many opportunities like that that we see in Scripture. Let me just share with you a few. For example, when God shut the door on the ark with Noah and his family inside, and the heavens opened up for the first time ever, and rain began to fall, and the floodwaters began to rise, and the shouts and screams began to be deafening. Do you think maybe that was a time that Noah and his family were a little bit afraid? I think for sure they were. They had good reason to be. How about this, when Lot and his family were fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah as God consumed those cities with fire and brimstone? Do you think there was reason to to maybe have the blood pumping a little extra fast in those moments? Absolutely, there was reason for, for fear, but also an opportunity for bravery. How about when Joseph was sold into slavery? Do you think maybe that would be, for a young boy, a pretty scary situation? Oh, wow. Absolutely it was. How about when God called Moses and told him he wanted him to go and to talk to the most powerful person around and say to the Pharaoh, let my people go. What did God's word tell us? That Moses was scared to death. Oh, I can't do that, God. I can't do that. But he, while he was scared and hesitant, he also obeyed and learned to be brave. Another in that time frame, how about shortly thereafter, the 10th plague, when the angel of death came on the first Passover and, 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 and there was weeping and screaming throughout the, all of, of Egypt because the firstborn in every household that did not have the blood of the Passover lamb wiped on their doorframe, every single one of them died. Do you think that was a moment of, of uh, maybe an opportunity for a lot of fear in that whole area? Absolutely. 
And yet, it was a great opportunity to trust in and grow closer to the Lord and, and learn what bravery is all about. How about when God called Esther to stand up on behalf of, of uh, the people, her people, the Israelites, and go to King Xerxes and, and tell him about his wicked uh, uh, servant Haman and how that, that, that there were all kinds of problems happening there, even though she knew that going to the king unannounced or without being invited could mean death. It was scary. It had to be scary. That required great bravery, and yet she chose to do so. How about when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because of his commitment to pray? Scary. How about when Daniel's buddies, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the fiery furnace? Incredible bravery. I love how they worded that. Uh, When they talked to the king, they said something to the effect of, of, King, we are not going to bow down to your graven images. We will not do it because God will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we will still not bow down because of our faith to him. Our focus is on him more than it is on you. Incredible bravery in the midst of what would be a terrifying situation. How about when Jonah was swallowed whole by a fish? Do you think maybe that was a moment of of fear? Absolutely. How about when Peter took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink and drown when he was stepping out of the boat in faith for a moment and then took his eyes off of his God and put them on the things that he were, was afraid of, the waves, and began to sink. How about when Stephen, who became the first martyr, how about in that moment when he watched people pick up rocks and he saw them start to, to throw those and he began to feel them hit him? Do you think maybe that was a time of fear? Had a lot of reason to be afraid, didn't he? But His focus was not on his fears. His focus was on his faith in God. And so he stood strong. Here's the main point I want you to not miss today. The key point is this. There are countless scary things that we must face in this life, but there is nothing we must fear because of what God's Word tells us. And that is in in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to read that out loud with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? One more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? The most amazing and powerful rhetorical question of all time. There is much in this world we have to fear, but, or, or there is much we have to face, but there is nothing we have to fear because we know that if God is for us, who can be against us? On our own, there is a lot to fear, but with God, there is nothing. Now, again, that does not mean that God promises to protect us from all scary situations or help us avoid all of them or make our, our, our life like, you know, a, a bed of roses or, you know, the red carpet being rolled out and everything just hunky-dory or easy. We face difficult things in life. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble, not might. He didn't say some of you. You all will have trouble, but, he said, take heart, for I've overcome the world. So, life in this world may be hard sometimes, but Jesus made it clear, as he did in the next chapter, John 17, he said that we are in this world, but not of this world. We don't have to be afraid because he has overcome this world, and our real world is not this earth, not this earth. Let me close with just a few scriptures and a couple of points I want you to hear. As the band gets ready to lead us, let me tell you this. Psalm 56 says this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 
Another incredible rhetorical question. How about Joshua 1.9? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So, Isaiah 41 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? He cares for you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So the power to be brave starts and ends, like everything else, it starts and ends with God. And that's what we have to understand. I'm not suggesting that you run from your fears or hide from your fears or deny your fears. I'm suggesting, again, and maybe you want to write it down, I'm suggesting that you shift your focus from your fear to your faith. Shift your focus from your fear to your faith. You acknowledge the fears but you focus on God. The God, as David said, the God uh, of the living armies. Almighty God. Almighty God, the Lord of heaven's armies. So let me tell you a little bit about your faith and a little bit about your God, and then we're going to stand and sing. Will you stand with me? Let me tell you, just real briefly, in 30 seconds, four things about your God and about your faith. Faith focuses on God, not on your problems. Faith trusts in God's timing, not your own. Faith grows by believing God in spite of your circumstances. And fourthly, faith obeys God one step at a time. One step at a time. And so right now, right here today, we each one have an opportunity to be brave. Not because we bring what is needed to the table or what is needed at the battle. But because if He is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? So I want to encourage you as we sing this song. If you want to be brave and you want to trust Him, maybe it's for the very first time. Maybe you are thinking about it, but you've never walked with Him. Would you come today, right here, right now? Maybe just raise your hands and do it right where you're at. But let's honor God. Let's sing with all our hearts. And let's worship Him.